The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. You know, it's very interesting how here in the United States, when it comes to the virus and in particular when it comes to vaccines, which we will be talking about significantly, really starting now and expecting approval of vaccines in the U.S., potentially even with within hours or in the next few days uh, into 2021 within this area of vaccination and really with the virus in general. Reality is increasingly the exact opposite of what the Trump administration tells us that it is. And this has to some degree been the case for a while now, but it's increasingly glaring. And we can sort of go back to the beginning uh, as far as vaccines are concerned. And remember that for months, Donald Trump and this administration have been telling us that his vaccine initiative called Operation Warp Speed is the only way to get vaccines ready quickly that without Operation Warp Speed, vaccines could take five to six years to get. As he said in that uh, clip I played for you yesterday from Tuesday's vaccine summit, it used to take infinity to get a vaccine, whatever that means, until Operation Warp Speed, which is a strange thing to say. Uh, but the truth is is very different. The truth has been and continues to be that the reason we're getting vaccines for coronavirus relatively quickly is that the ones we're seeing now, Pfizer, BioNTech, uh, Oxford, AstraZeneca, Moderna, they're built on an mRNA platform. This is much faster to work with, much faster to develop than the, the traditional vaccines, which are based on weakened or dead virus. And we also have those coming. This is an important thing to remember. In 2021, we're expecting there will be new coronavirus vaccines as well uh, based on that weakened or dead virus platform. Those are under development. They still take longer. Uh, Operation Warp Speed has not accelerated those in any way either. And of course, Donald Trump's claims never passed the sniff test because the vaccine development that was happening in other countries was taking place just as quickly as in the United States. And of course, the development, for example, in the UK of the Oxford vaccine had nothing to do with Operation Warp Speed. And you don't even need to look at other countries because even within the United States, the vaccination development under the mRNA platform by companies not taking Operation Warp Speed money uh, happened just as quickly as those who did take Operation Warp Speed money. So it it was very clear that this wasn't passing the sniff test. And fascinatingly, this has now come to be flipped on its head because despite Trump's bragging about Operation Warp Speed being the one and only sole path to developing a vaccine quickly, both the United Kingdom and Canada have beaten the United States to approved coronavirus vaccines. Earlier this week, I told you that the United Kingdom approved its vaccine and is already vaccinating people. Its vaccine. They approved the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine originally developed in Germany. They are already vaccinating people. There are now concerns about uh, allergic reactions, which are still early and we're exploring whether there are folks with with prior uh, allergic reactions to vaccines who maybe should not get this one very early, but they're starting to build that data, starting to vaccinate people. Now it's Canada as well. Canada's health department yesterday gave emergency approval for the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine. So it's no longer rhetoric. Trump has been bragging for months about imaginary accomplishments on vaccines. We had the sense that the bragging was not based in fact. Now, today, December 10th, 2020, the United Kingdom 
has an approved coronavirus vaccine and is vaccinating people. Canada has an approved coronavirus vaccine and will have vaccinations happening within the within days. And the US does not yet have an approved coronavirus vaccine. Now, it should be just a matter of days or even hours. The FDA panel meeting is already happening. I was watching some of it earlier today during this meeting at at its conclusion. They are going to be voting as to whether to grant emergency use authorization for the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine. I believe it's December 17th, a week from today that we will uh, have a meeting of the FDA about emergency use authorization for the Moderna vaccine. So in 10 days, we could have two approved vaccines right now. We do not. Um, and, and so the question is, why does our guy constantly brag, but get outdone in the end on the facts? Humility seems not to be an option, particularly when he ends up getting embarrassed by the facts every time he just comes up with more lies. And remember that Donald Trump and his administration promised us 300 million vaccine doses in 2020. You, you, it's hard to keep track because they constantly move the goalposts. But the promise was 300 million doses by the end of 2020. They failed plain and simple. And now, unfortunately, and, and I don't take any pleasure in this because of Donald Trump opting out of securing an additional 100,000 Pfizer BioNTech doses when given the option in late summer. Uh, we are going to be at a deficit in terms of being able to really get people vaccinated. So updated timeline, a first vaccine expected to be approved in the next hours or days. Second vaccine, December 17th meeting, assuming both get approved. We're looking at vaccination for about 20 million people in the next few weeks. Now, remember, there is this 28 day period from when you get your first dose to when you have the full power of the vaccine. A uh, dose one tends to get you, you know, somewhere between 60 and 80 percent uh, uh, immunity success. Dose two gets you to the 95 seven days after that second dose has been has been received. So by February 1st, we may have six or so percent of the vax of the population immune. Remember, the vaccinations will start sooner, but it takes a while to build the immunity uh, and it's a start. The US recently has been averaging more than 200,000 cases per day. Remember, Dr. Fauci told us months ago, you know, we could get if we're not careful, we could get to 100 K per day. Half the country said no, no, no. Now we're at 200,000 cases per day and deaths, meanwhile, tragically continue to soar. I told you we could be close to a 9-11's worth of deaths every day, but now we are there several days this week between twenty nine hundred and three thousand deaths per day in the United States. Inconceivably tragic. Uh, by the way, y- people still just don't even get what's going on. Even in Massachusetts yesterday, I left a bakery required to wear a mask. So I did uh, got my croissants. And as I was walking out with my mask, a maskless guy walks by me. I tweeted about this and says, pathetic masks wearing a blue lives matter shirt by the just as a detail, also wearing a blue lives matter shirt. This guy. So we have a lot of people who still don't even get it. Now, as far as vaccines go, the big tragedy is the death and the human and economic cost as a result of the missteps. And also, we can't forget the missteps at every opportunity by the administration. It started with denying the seriousness of the pandemic. They refused to wear masks until much too late. Trump turned down the hundred million doses of the Pfizer vaccine from uh, uh, Pfizer over the summer. Now we're not going to get our second delivery of Pfizer vaccines 
potentially until June of 2021. They failed on the second stimulus. They were regularly outdone in terms of stimulus by uh, um, uh, other countries. Um, other wealthy countries, OECD countries doing better, both in terms of suppressing and in terms of stimulus. So it's sad. It's tragic. It's pathetic. I don't know what the right word is, sort of an all of the above. But if there is any optimistic news, it's that we're starting to get the vaccines and soon Trump will be gone and we will have something a little more sensible um, guiding us through this. A hugely controversial decision has been made by YouTube, owned by Google, of course, that they will be straight up removing any videos which claim that Donald Trump lost the election because of so-called voter fraud, which doesn't exist. Utah, YouTube, not Utah. YouTube is essentially saying Joe Biden won the 2020 election. That's a historical fact at this point. And claims to the contrary will fall under the umbrella of misleading videos, which are and can be restricted on YouTube. YouTube explains now that enough states have certified their elections such that in total Joe Biden has 270 electoral votes, they will remove content that, quote, misleads people by alleging that widespread fraud or errors change the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. Now, they're not going to go and do this retroactively. So if you uploaded videos before yesterday saying Trump won because of voter fraud, those will be allowed to stay up. This is a decision that will go forward from yesterday. YouTube explaining the decision in a series of tweets. Let's take a, a look. YouTube saying our goal this election was to connect people to authoritative info, limit harmful misinformation and remove violative content. Subsequently, authoritative news was widely watched and recommended. And since September, we removed more than 8000 channels for violating our policies. Yesterday was the safe harbor deadline. Now that enough states certified their presidential election results, We'll remove any content published today or any time after that alleges widespread fraud or errors changed the 2020 U.S. presidential outcome. Now, that's there's a couple interesting things there. Number one, it sounds like they're saying if you are reporting about an individual instance of of a clerical error or, or fraud or whatever, that will be allowed. But big picture saying Trump really won, but because of voter fraud, Biden got it. That's what wouldn't be allowed. And the justification they're giving is that Joe Biden's win is now simple, empirical, undeniable fact. YouTube going on to explain, quote, we'll also update today our election results info panel, which already surfaced under 200,000 vids and was shown more than 4.5 billion times. Uh, it'll note the U.S. presidential resu results are certified and linked to the 2020 Electoral College results page by the Office of the Federal Register, lastly saying there's always more to do. Striking the balance between openness and responsibility is one of our toughest challenges. We're continuing to make improvements and will apply our learnings from this election globally. I'm actually unsure about the, the long term effect of this policy, and I'll, I'll explain uh, in the sense that I think YouTube might make life difficult for themselves with this decision. So I am 100 percent in agreement that this is completely within YouTube's rights as a business. I'm taking no issue with that whatsoever. YouTube is doing nothing illegal here, period. I think the implementation of this is complex because of the doors that it opens. Fact checking boxes for election content with the results that say Joe Biden won and it's been certified by states. I'm with it 100 percent. Even demonetization of misleading videos, which are effectively conspiracy theories, I would even be OK with that flagging content like Twitter does as disinformation or disputed. Often when Trump tweets, I won. Absolutely fine. But 
the complexity is they allow flat earth content. They allow all sorts of other conspiracy content that is factually wrong. So now they have to make a distinction about what is factually wrong and justifies removal. And here they're saying broad claims about election fraud leading to Joe Biden falsely winning. That has passed a threshold where it's not a flag. It's not sorry, I hit my mic. I'm getting so excited. It's not just a flag. It's not just demonetization. It's removal. Now, to be completely clear, the Trump actually won stuff is completely corrosive to democracy. I've been clear and consistent on this. I'm just wondering about the enforcement of this. I, I might even like where this goes in the sense that it might push some of the loony right wing voices to abandon YouTube altogether and go start their own thing. That's great. Stop the spread of disinformation. But I do think YouTube is opening themselves up to an absolute storm of insanity as a result. This is not a censorship issue to me. Biden won period. YouTube can do this legally 110 percent. But I think the enforcement is going to be problematic. And, and the other thing that I find interesting is the right wingers are going nuts about this. And clearly YouTube made the calculation. I mean, YouTube knew that this was going to be an S storm when they do it. They calculated stopping the election conspiracy theories is worth it to them in exchange for the criticism that is raining down upon them from the right for this decision. So uh, uh, my concern is more about implementation and the precedent that it sets. Uh, but we will see ultimately how this turns out. I would love to hear your thoughts about this decision by YouTube. I'm on Twitter at D The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. When you see me sitting here at the microphone, oftentimes I'm wearing a shirt by a company called Teddy Stratford. And I love these shirts so much that I asked Teddy Stratford to be a sponsor of the show. And here's why I like their shirts so much. With other slim fit button up shirts, you often get this weird looking gap between the buttons where it looks kind of stretched out. But Teddy Stratford actually has a patented zipper that's hidden underneath the buttons, which secures the shirt against your chest so it doesn't look stretched. And most importantly, it just provides a nicer looking fit overall. And the entire shirt is specially designed to really improve the way your upper body looks when you're wearing it. It also has a special type of collar that prevents it from drooping down and spreading open, which is another really great thing about these shirts. All of these things really do a lot to make a big difference when you're looking at a shirt. And that's why I like to wear Teddy Stratford shirts on the show. Go check them out at davidpackman.com slash Teddy. The link is in the podcast notes and they'll give you 15 percent off your first order. If you use the coupon code Pacman at checkout, that's P-A-K-M-A-N. Privacy.com is one of our sponsors and they're giving you five dollars just for using their free service at privacy.com slash Pacman. Privacy is a service I've been using for a while now. I love it. It saves me a bunch of headaches. It's completely free and it's very quick to set up. And here's how it works. When you pay for something online or over the phone, instead of exposing your real credit card number, privacy lets you generate virtual card numbers. The payments are withdrawn from your checking account, but your real card number stays completely private and you do it all with one click. You can autofill the card number in your web browser on the phone. You can create 12 virtual cards a month. You can set spending limits, freeze them, delete them whenever you want. 
I especially love it for free trials where you need to give a credit card number because I can destroy the virtual card number as soon as I give it to the company and I know I won't be charged in the future. If you're ordering food over the phone, why do I need to give a restaurant my real card number if I don't have to? Companies don't have to know who you are. Your real credit card number is protected from the data breaches that happen, unfortunately, more often than we would like. And it's completely free. They do have a paid version with different tiers where you can create more virtual credit card numbers per month, cashback rewards, extra security features. But go ahead and sign up for the free service. It's a no brainer. Companies can't charge you unexpectedly. You're protected from identity theft. It costs you nothing. And privacy is giving you five dollars to spend just for signing up when you go to privacy.com slash Pacman. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. The David Pakman Show depends primarily on folks like you who get memberships at joinpakman.com. So uh, please consider that as we head into a new year and a new era of the show. Joinpakman.com coupon code available. Fresh start saves you a bunch of money. A very interesting discussions this morning on the David Pakman Show subreddit where you can join 26 Maybe it's 27 now, 26, 27,000 other David Pakman show viewers, davidpakmancom slash Reddit. A few interesting posts. You know, I got a few emails like this, and this is a post from Portland hipster who said, David, why on earth would you not tell Republicans not to vote in Georgia? If you can convince an already psychologically damaged or duped Republican to not vote for more destruction, isn't that the morally correct thing to do? In all likelihood, having a Democratic controlled Senate would benefit these deranged Republicans in material ways. So don't you have a moral obligation to help get a Democratic controlled Senate by any ethical way possible? Doesn't that trump your principle of voting? No, I don't think so. What, what I said earlier this week and last week is one of the main one of the big messages, the top level messages in, on this show is engaging people in the political processes. And part of that is increasing voter turnout. And everyone must vote. Everyone must vote. Everyone must vote. And so because that's the big principle, what this user is doing is engaging in a special pleading, which is, well, yes, get more people involved, vote, 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 except this time whereby buying into obviously false conspiracy theories that the election is rigged and abandoning the principle of increasing engagement, you might serve a greater good, right? The argument is, well, you know, your argument, David, about more engagement is generally good. But here, Democrats taking the Senate would create so much good. It would trickle down. It's justified morally this time for you to lie to people and say, you know what, Republicans, you're right. It's rigged and you should stay home. Th this is exactly one of the points I've been making. Just because I might be able to justify it in this micro case, I'm not going to abandon the macro principle. And I don't think the left needs to. I don't think the left, you know, when I say, guys, listen, um, I want to change campaign finance. But right now, the candidate that raises the most money wins and the candidate that buys TV ads uh, is more likely to win. We've got to do it. We, we can't unilaterally disarm uh, because then we'll just never win. This is different. This is a principle of engagement and civic duty and voting. And so I wouldn't feel OK 
abandoning it here and saying, yeah, you guys, the, it is rigged. You should you should stay home. Republicans don't vote. I just wouldn't feel good about it. Others might. And it's a decision you'll have to make for yourselves. Um, user Brody Mulligan says, if offered to you and available immediately, would you take Pfizer's covid-19 vaccine? You know, at this point I would now, based on what I've been seeing, um, based on my risk profile and demographic information, I am not likely to be able to get a vaccine until April, May or June. As of right now, if half the country ends up not wanting it, that that might accelerate and it might be moved up at this point. I have seen enough of the data and Pfizer BioNTech released detailed data um, two days ago about the vaccine uh, that I would take it. I know that there's roughly a 10 percent chance that I would have some kind of a reaction, physical reaction in the arm. I'm not someone who's had prior uh, allergic reactions to vaccines. And so that is not a concern to me. And the data to me would be if if I wasn't taking it from anybody who needs it more acutely than I do today, I would take the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine. Curious to hear from folks in the audience uh, where you stand about that. You can join the discussion and even vote in the poll asking about the Pfizer vaccine um, by joining the subreddit. It's free. I'm not selling you anything. Just join the community at davidpackmancom slash reddit. All right. Um, buckle up, everybody. I'm about to be called a racist. Unfortunately, there are people who are going to listen to this segment and call me a racist. And, and that's sad. But uh, I encourage you to listen to this entire segment all the way through. I've been telling you all along that when Joe Biden does things that I don't like or that fail to be truly left, I'm going to point them out to you. I'm going to call them out. And we have the perfect prototypical example today. President-elect Joe Biden has selected Lloyd Austin to be his secretary of defense. Lloyd Austin is a retired four-star army general, was previously the commander of CENTCOM, actually was the first African-American commander of CENTCOM and would be the first African-American secretary of defense in American history. Very interesting personal story from Alabama raised in Georgia, graduated from West Point, two master's degrees, including an MBA. Really interesting guy. No shortage of intelligence, no shortage of, of military and other experience and academic experience, no doubt whatsoever. But this is the perfect example of how a lot of people are focusing on the identity story at the exclusion of admitting and recognizing that Lloyd Austin, as interesting as his career has been, as inspiring as I admit being the first black secretary of defense would be, Lloyd Austin represents exactly the problems we're trying to fix in government and in foreign policy and in defense. Lloyd Austin is the prototypical example of diversification in terms of identity without changing any of the power structures which partially are responsible for the problems that make his identity as the first black secretary of defense notable in the first place. To start with, this is another military guy who hasn't even been out of the military long enough, seven years, such that he requires a congressional exemption to even be allowed to be secretary of defense. Let me explain that. Many people may not know about this. There's a law, the National Security Act of 1947, which requires any prospective cabinet secretary to wait seven full years after ending active duty in the military as a commissioned officer before you can be in a president's cabinet. 
Lloyd Austin was on active duty until 2016. Now, I am not going to be a hypocrite. I remember that back in 2017, I did a story about Donald Trump's secretary of defense selection, Jim Mattis. Uh, at the time, the, the title of this video was these Democrats plus one Republican had the balls to vote no on Trump cabinet. Now, the title doesn't tell you about what's in the story, but in that story, I explained Jim Mattis, Trump's pick for secretary of defense, hasn't been out of active duty for seven years. So Congress is going to need to issue a waiver to get Jim Mattis in Donald Trump's cabinet. And at the time I said, why the hell do we have a rule about this? if the president can just go to Congress and get a waiver. And I'm not a hypocrite, so I have to tell you the exact same thing today. If we have this rule from 1947, why not stick to it? What is the point if Joe Biden can just get it waived? Why do we need such a recent active duty military person as secretary of defense? Because the rule was meant to disincentivize choosing recent active duty military people instead of choosing long retired military folks or straight up civilians for secretary of defense. The idea being non-military secretaries of defense or or those who have a military background but have been out of the military longer would be less cozy with the military and they would bring a more uh, uh, impartial approach to sort of counterbalance the Joint Chiefs of Staff and others within the military. That's the whole point here. So this was a great opportunity for Joe Biden to instead of starting with another military officer who's was was in the military so recently that he's got to be waved in. Joe Biden could have started his presidency with a, a return to normalcy with civilian oversight of military plans and actions. But he's the first black secretary of defense. That is the story that is being told. And then on the other side of this, you're also putting a ton of Democrats in a really stupid looking position because many Democrats who will vote on this nomination opposed the waiver for Jim Mattis in 2017. Now they are likely going to have to acquiesce and OK Lloyd Austin. And this applies to those uh, in the House of Representatives as well, confirming that they are hypocrites and giving Republicans more ammunition than we need to give them to quote Joe Biden. Come on, man. This is misguided. And then when you look specifically at Lloyd Austin's military career, it's not good. Lloyd Austin was the commanding general in Iraq and then commander of U.S. Cent uh, Central Command CENTCOM in the U.S. withdrawal in 2011, the subsequent collapse of the Iraqi army in 2012 to ISIS. So now look at the big picture. Not only are you having to wave in a guy too recently in the military to be traditionally eligible, you have a guy who during his confirmation hearings is going to be on the receiving end of legitimate criticisms for how he handled Iraq as well. So sadly, there are people who are going to listen to my entire story and they're going to say, David, that's racist. You don't want a black secretary of defense. No, that's not what I said. If you're going to e don't even email me that that don't even bother emailing me that. Uh, and unfortunately, we will lose subscribers. We will lose paid members because I did this story because some people will not focus on what I'm actually criticizing here, which is that we are diversifying in terms of identity, but perpetuating the exact problems that we've been pointing out for more than a decade at this point in time. So so far, near Tandon, disastrous pick. Uh, Lloyd Austin, very problematic for the reasons that I mentioned. These strike me as unforced errors.
If I'm missing something about this pick, let me know. We'll have more coverage of this on our Instagram at David Pakman show. And um, I look forward to hearing your thoughts. The David Pakman show at davidpakman.com. What if you could read 10 books in just one sitting? That's exactly what one of my favorite apps lets you do. It's called Blinkist. And what they do is take thousands of popular nonfiction books. They condense them down into text or audio that you can consume in 15 minutes. Blinkist makes sure that you're getting all of the important core insights from each book. So it's perfect for exploring a book you otherwise wouldn't have time for. If there's a full book you're thinking about buying, you can use Blinkist to get a sample first. Just think how much you can enrich yourself by being able to soak up an entire nonfiction book in just 15 minutes. I recently checked out the book Podcast Marketing Strategy by Daniel Rolls and Kieran Rogers, and so useful, so particularly applicable to what I'm doing. Really recommend it. Blinkist has books on politics, philosophy, science. They have 27 different nonfiction categories and a subscription is only about eight bucks a month and you get access to the entire library. But you can try it totally free and get 25 percent off a subscription when you go to Blinkist.com slash Pacman. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Pacman. One of our sponsors today is Magic Spoon. The reason I'm such a fan of Magic Spoon is they allow me to enjoy the delicious breakfast cereals I loved as a kid without all the sugar and without the unhealthy ingredients, because Magic Spoon makes breakfast cereal that you really can't tell apart from those tasty sugary cereals that we all know. But each serving of Magic Spoon has no sugar three net carbs and 11 grams of protein. So it's perfect for someone on a low carb keto diet. Just anybody trying to eat healthier and cut back on the sugar. You can choose from cocoa, frosted, fruity, cinnamon, blueberry or peanut butter. They all taste amazing. And Magic Spoon now lets you create your own customized variety pack with the flavors you choose. They really do stand by their product and will refund 100% of your money if you don't love it. No questions asked. Go to magicspoon.com/pacman to build your own custom variety box today and be sure to use promo code pacman to get free shipping. The link is in the podcast notes. Welcome back to the David Pakman show. We are uh, welcoming back today a longtime friend of the show, Benjamin Dixon, host of the Benjamin Dixon show, resident of the all important state of Georgia. We are going to talk about what already happened in Georgia, what may happen on January 5th. Ben, it's so good to see you. David, it's always good to see you and good to be back here sharing with your channel. Congratulations on the million subscribers. Oh, you're, thank you. A million one million two now. Right. Well, listen, you're going to get there faster than I did. It might, it'll, you're not there yet, but uh, you're you're compressing my growth into less time, I, I'm sure. I certainly hope so, because <laughs> it, it already feels like it's been forever. It's been, it's been like six years. So uh, but we're just still doing the work and excited about what's happening in Georgia. Yeah. So, so I mean, let's just dive right into it. First of all, you know, there were questions. Will Texas go red? I never uh, I'm sorry. Will Texas go blue? I never thought it would. 
what's going to happen in Florida. I thought it was kind of a question mark. I I did not think Georgia was the most likely to go to Joe Biden, but it did. You followed it in a way that that I didn't from outside of the state. Were you surprised? Right. No, I, I wasn't. I was pleased. I was thoroughly pleased. But I knew the kind of work that was happening on the ground. I knew the type of registrations that were happening. Um, the New Georgia Project, uh, which is affiliated with Stacey Abrams uh, and a couple of other colleagues of mine, uh, New Georgia Project registered half a million people of color alone in this cycle. And so um, with those kind of numbers and the type of targeted push that I saw on the ground, I suspected that Georgia would be blue. I, I just didn't want to jinx it. So I kept my fingers crossed. So we've got these two Senate races and John Ossoff, David Perdue. There's no more debates there. Um, I, I almost had to call Atlanta police and report a murder after that first debate with Ossoff and Perdue. I mean, that's one of the most brutal debates I've ever seen. And I understand yeah. why David Perdue's not debating. We right. had the Leffler Warnock debate on Sunday, and yes. she seemed to have a software malfunction where she was repeating the same five things over and over, including yes. the word uh, so socialist and a radical leftist, radical liberal Raphael Warnock. My right. instinct and my audience was this is so transparent, but we don't necessarily understand the totality of the electorate in Georgia. Is right. that type of repetition actually something that could win you a Senate race in Georgia? No, no. But what can win you a Senate race in Georgia is simply being complicit and part and parcel with the power structure that Kelly Loeffler represents and what she's trying to protect. So they don't care how incompetent she is. She's theirs. She's that. That's that's their that's their senator. That's the person who they're going to vote for. I mean, they voted for Donald Trump. Right. I, I know Joe Biden won, but there's still a lot of people in Georgia who support Trumpism. So um, do they support her malfunction? Because she did have a software malfunction, to be <laughs> sure. No, they probably think she's she's bland as a Borg, uh, but they're still going to vote for her. And in terms of voting at all, and this is something that I am just fascinated by. On the one hand, early it was it's rigged, rigged, rigged. Trump really yes. won. Etc., yes. which would imply January 5th could maybe is also rigged. And then you started seeing inklings of this. Let's just boycott Republicans boycott. If they're not going to count our votes anyway, let's just boycott, which, of right. course, is crazy because that will just hand the, the wins to, to the two Democratic candidates. But lately in Trump's rally during the debate, you saw Leffler say it. They're now focusing on the importance of getting out every vote. Do you think that right. this boycott movement will have any impact? Well, I, I will say that the Republicans here in the state of Georgia are pretty much like the Republicans across the country. They they're doing their best to hold it together while they figure out what the hell to do with Donald Trump. And that's happening in Georgia. So people don't really know. Republicans don't really know whether they are free to distance themselves from Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Nobody is going to attack him, but they are afraid to distance themselves. And so there's kind of a, a kerfuffle, right? There's there's confusion. There's chaos. There's dissent in uh, Georgia. Republicans, we see some of them dis, uh, uh, disagreeing with each other publicly. They're going in different directions in terms of strategy. Um, I, I, I think they are collapsing under the weight of Donald Trump's ego. And I think that's going to have a huge effect in January. And so but but as far as just like this idea of them staying home as some kind of solidarity with the claims right. that it was rigged. Only a few percent need to do that for it to potentially make a difference, given how close it's expected to be. 
Right, because the uh, special elections, the the uh, special elections on January fifth, the the turnout is going to be by definition lower, right? Yeah. It's a special election, and so the margins are going to be that much more important. So if they actually do manage to get like one percent, even just one percent of Georgia's turnout, uh, Republican turnout to stay home, um, then that could be the margin of difference here. I've been having not really an argument, but kind of a disagreement about strategy with some in my audience. Where last week I said, listen. For 10 years on this program, I've been saying increase civic, civic engagement. Voting is is a, a, it's step one. It's only step one, but it is step one. Right. Increased right. turnout overall. The left does better with more turnout. And so I would not feel OK saying, hey, Republicans, you know, you really should stay home. You really should boycott this huh. thing because I feel like at a higher level, it's, it's not what I'm about. Now, some right, people right. in my audience wrote to me and they said, listen, David, if Democrats take the Senate and Kamala Harris becomes the tie breaking vote, Things will get done that would not otherwise get done. The right, country will right. be better off. Isn't there some greater good in just this one time encouraging Republicans not to vote, even if you have yeah. to lie to them about the rig stuff? I can't get behind that. Like I, I, yeah. I'm having a lot of yeah. trouble with that. What's your thought on this this idea? No, no, no. It's a great question because I'm actually uh, I'm senior advisor for Really American, and they are running some really provocative ads in Georgia billboards. Particularly, they have billboards all over the state. Um, uh, that are basically basically encouraging Republicans to continue fighting each other. Mm. <laughs> right. And, and in a way, if you're not careful, it could have a suppressive effect against Republicans, because if Republicans feel like they have a lot of infighting, they're more likely to stay home. I'm OK with that. Um, I and I 100 percent understand where you come from, David, and, and I find myself uh, struggling with that on a regular basis. Well, let me uh, clarify, I, Ben, just to be make sure I know what you're saying. You're saying yeah. you're OK. I'm OK with them staying home if they want to yes. convince each other to stay home. That's yes. great. I'm not going to say, you know, you really should vote where I sort of draw the line is participating in the encouragement to stay home yeah. because it's rigged. Well, we're participating in what um, uh, my colleague at Really American calls a truth telling campaign. OK, <laughs> watch, watch, watch this spin. Yep. It was a great spin. So <laughs> he said, all we're doing is telling the truth about what's going on in the Georgia Republican Party. I think the people of Georgia have the right to understand the divisions that are happening in the Republican Party. So uh, we're calling what we're doing a truth telling campaign. And, and you know, I know, you know, we could read between the lines. Yeah, uh, we want to win Georgia. And, and then um, you guys could. You know, people who disagree with me, not you particularly, uh, but y'all can come after us afterwards. We're going to we're going to win this race. And uh, and then and then we'll feel bad about what we did afterwards. So you're you're confident about the, the two uh, races. I'm 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 pretty uh, I'm pretty bullish on it. I, I feel um, I feel that if everything falls in place, we could pull out a miracle. It will be a miracle. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be easy. But I think all the elements are in place. And I think if everyone plays their cards right, we can get two seats. And I know that's a stretch, but I'm willing to 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 go out on the limb there. Let's talk a little bit about the incoming uh, Biden administration. Uh, I said months ago, I will uh, call it the way I see it. If I see Joe Biden pick people that I think are problematic, I will tell you it won't mean right. that I think I should have voted for Trump instead. It will just mean I voted for the right person, but they made some selections I didn't like. Perfect. So far, the two that I am concerned about primarily are Neera Tandon. Um, Absolutely. And Lloyd Austin. And, yeah. you know, uh, back in 2017, I said when Jim Mattis was selected, uh, guys, we we have a rule about being out of the military seven years. 
So what's the point of the rule if you can just get a con congressional waiver and get around that? There's a reason that yeah. that rule is in place. The yeah. exact same waiver is going to be necessary for Lloyd Austin. And I would be a hypocrite if I didn't call it out. He was involved mm -hmm. in some of the mishandling of of the Iraq war in 2011 and in 2014. This this is not a pick I love. And to me, it strikes me as identity diversification without yeah. solving the structural problems. Right, right. Well, I mean, so there's always going to be, David, there's there's always going to be an element in the corporate Democratic wing that is more than happy to give us uh, identity, um, you know, because it is it is a it is it instantly celebrated that this is a black guy who's going to lead the Pentagon. Right. With Lloyd Austin. Yep. Um, but, you know, we just take a break and breathe and look and say, oh, well, this is that guy. And so I, I think it's, um, you know, that's our job. Our job is going to be to maneuver through the BS of them using identity uh, as a shield. Like, I think identity politics matters. I want to make sure I say that I think identity politics matters yep. because black people and, and all kind of identities suffer identity specific problems in this country. There are problems that black people go through simply because they are black LGBTQIA, obviously. However, when the corporate Democrats use it as a shield against criticism, we have to be able to maneuver through that and still bring a solid critique against their uh, their corporate their corporatism and imperialism. Right. The phrase I've used is I value identity because of the insight it gives us. Mm -hmm. But where I stop is whether it's used as either a shield or a cudgel to, to or, or mm -hmm. a mallet to beat people sort of over the head. And that's mm -hmm. where the rational thinking seems to go out. Right. Well, I mean, and, and I agree with you. I agree with you all the way to the point where I think that there are some situations in this country that require a mallet to the head. I think that there are some very stubborn situations in this country that are so intransigent and malignant, to be quite honest with you. Like racism is malignant in this mm -hmm. country. Mm -hmm. And and if we need to go straight head to head with it, then fine. But we have to be able to understand when it's time to recognize how identity politics, just like any, I mean, any other politics are used against you for powerful people to continue getting their way into getting their agenda. And we just have to know when that's happening with identity. Yeah. And, and interestingly, it's, I mean, it's good you mentioned that because oftentimes class politicking is also used in ways that, but it's just not identified as pernicious it, mm -hmm. it, and with the phrase, oh, identity politics is being used. You mm -hmm. rarely hear that said about class politics, but it's used very frequently. Yeah. Yeah. And see, I, class politics is an identity politics that I get down with. I'm like I, I'm down with like four flat tires with class politics as well as race, racial politics. Um, but I agree with you. Right. It is. If you're not careful, there's an element of, of a class critique that itself can become a cudgel. It can become a bludgeoning tool. It can become uh, a, a weaponized um, a way to ignore logic and reason. Right. Um, so we just have to be careful that anything that we really believe in can be weaponized against us uh, if we're if we if we give it a free pass and not or, and we're not willing to critique it truthfully and in good faith. So who do you like that Joe Biden has selected so far? Um, <laughs> nobody, nobody. No, no, I'm serious. I'm really trying to think of any uh, Cedric. I forget Cedric's last name. The congressman um, who had that brilliant exchange with Matt Gates about his son. I can't think of Cedric's uh, last name, but he, he, he's OK. I don't, I'm not I'm honestly I'm not excited about any of his picks. I am. What I have decided to do with Joe Biden is to let him make his play. 
Let him make his play. I can't control who he picks. No matter how much commentary we give, we can't control who he picks. But we can decide what type of um, opponent we have in the White House. Is he opponent that we have to oppose with all of our energy? Or is he opponent that we need to uh, keep an eye on because he made some bad picks and we need to keep an eye on what they're going to do? I think he's going to fall in that latter category. Yeah, I mean, I, I've said that I, I dug back into some of uh, Janet Yellen's economic writing from the 90s, which, where she was like an academic uh, uh, economist. She's she's pretty brilliant. And I mean, it's like, listen, she's going to she's going to run the, the Treasury and um, she believes in monetary policy, you know, like that, that we would expect that Joe Biden's going going to pick somebody like that. Yes. But uh, things like her fair wage hypothesis from 1990, which I would definitely check out if, if you've not read it. Yeah, uh, exactly. very, very interesting stuff. She is quite brilliant. And at, at least I think she will not stand in the way if Joe Biden can otherwise get consensus and political capital to get things done. I don't think she'll stand in the way of anything he's he campaigned on. Whether he'll do it is a different question. Yeah. And I think that's the, that is the million dollar question. Right. So what does Joe Biden really want to do? Right. The rest of this is on the periphery. Right. He's going to do a lot of things because there's a lot of people in a lot of departments who have their own agendas and he's going to filter through them and they'll get whatever their agenda is done. Right. Which is why I'm really leery about the possibility of Rahm Emanuel, because I just kind of have a feeling I know what this guy wants and it's never been anything good for black people or poor people. Mm. Uh, that said, uh, with everyone else, Joe, Joe Biden is picking. I want to see what Joe Biden actually wants, because what he actually wants is what he's going to put his energy behind. David, I'm afraid that what he really wants is bipartisanship with the Republicans. I think his end all goal might be bipartisanship. And then then that is somebody I have to take a pretty good stand against. But yeah, that's I'm glad completely we, I'm naive. Glad, I, I mean, that's I'm just glad totally we elected naive. him, though. I'm still glad we elected him. Of course. Yeah. Still. No, but the idea that you're going to get things done with the help of this Republican Party, it, it seems like the height of naivete. Yes, yes. And, and I don't know if Joe Biden, I think possibly with Joe Biden, it could be sincere naivete. Um, I think with people around him who always triangulate with Republicans, I think it is intentional because they probably identify with Republicans more than they they do progressives. But with Joe Biden, I don't know. The jury is still out. I think he actually believes that bipartisanship is the greater good. Yeah, we will. Uh, I think we'll know relatively quickly is the upside. I think yeah. by March 1st, we'll have a pretty good sense of whether he, he really believes that Ben Absolutely. Dixon, the Benjamin Dixon show. So you've got the audio podcast. Yes. You've got the Facebook and the YouTube channel. And you yes. seem to have like a dozen ancillary shows that I, I regularly <laughs> am catching streams of. So like what what's the the hub where people can what's the best um, place? I mean, you know what? They honestly can go to the YouTube channel right here on YouTube. Subscribe on YouTube. Um, uh, give us a please, sir. Can we have some more some more of your <laughs> subscribers, David? Can we have some more of your subscribers? You please? know, the beautiful <laughs> thing about YouTube subscribers is like when me when Sam Cedar and I were having this fake war to a million. Yeah, it's not zero sum. It's not you have one yeah. subscription subscription and you either give it to Sam or to Ben or to David. You right. can generate subscriptions infinitely just by subscribing to more than one channel. So I always say spread the wealth around. Hey, man, I appreciate that. See, that's why I rock with David and David. For everyone who doesn't know, David has been rocking with my show since I started my show, like maybe six months after I started my show. Right. David contacted me. So, man, I appreciate everything that you, you've done to help me on this journey. My my pleasure. And um, let's let's do it again very soon. Sounds good. Take care. Man. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com.
I want to let you know that our sponsor Vincero watches is having a massive holiday sale on all of their products right now, and you can take advantage of it by going to davidpackmancom slash watch a brand new high quality wristwatch really is the perfect way to add something fresh to your style, whether it's for you or a gift for someone else. Vincero is a brand that has a serious dedication to the craft of watchmaking, which is really evident when you look closely at their watches. I wear Vincero watches myself. Lately, I've been wearing one from their Icon Automatic collection. It's the mesh matte black watch, and I love the sleek, minimalist design. Their watches are actually sold at a fair price. Their mission has always been to make a wristwatch from high end materials, but one that everyday people can afford. And that's why they have over 25,000 five star reviews, because you won't find a better made watch for this great of a price anywhere else. You can get big holiday discounts on all of their products right now and free shipping when you go to davidpackmancom slash watch. I've put the link in the podcast notes. The David Pakman Show at davidpackman.com. I have something very special for you today. Yes, this is another one of those going down with the ship appearances by Donald Trump's press secretary, Kaylee McEnany on Fox News. Uh, propaganda Sean Hannity's program. Yes, Kaylee is still pushing debunked voter fraud claims that no court believes that they have no evidence for that even Donald Trump seems to have given up on at this point. But this clip is special in that it has an extra element that is really dangerous and particularly pernicious. It shows us how lack of just simple mathematical understanding can be used by people, whether they understand it or not to trick others into believing really stupid things. Donald Trump's press secretary, Kayleigh McKenney, in this appearance last night, did some of the typical things. For example, as usual, she holds up pieces of paper as if holding up pieces of paper makes her claims more credible. Take a look. This is significant, which is why you have 18 states signing on to this very well done lawsuit by the state of Texas. And then she holds up pieces of paper again as if they change anything about the fact that Donald Trump lost and Joe Biden won power. And because Jake Tapper, fake news, CNN and others can't uh, wake up and find enough energy to go read a public court filing, I, I did it for them. You can find the sworn declaration uh, by Charles Cassetti, who, by the way, Ph.D. from Rutgers, tenured professor, expert testimony in hundreds of court cases, goes through meticulously how he used Z scores and standard deviations from a medium to come up with this median to come up with this number. So it's the job of a reporter to go find this. It's out there. It's public. And it's a dereliction of the duty and the job that each of these reporters have to not look into this, to not look at the sourcing, which is available for all to read. Sworn declaration. Whoa. Hold on a second here. Oh, wait a second. Joe Biden still won. Right. So that's all the stuff we're used to. But then here comes the dangerous math. Take a look at this. Kaylee McKenney presents the idea that what took place on election night has only a one in one quadrillion chance of happening. And thus, there must have been fraud. Donald Trump must have won. Now, one quadrillion is uh, a thousand raised to the power of five or uh, one followed by 15 zeros. Sean Hannity asks her, Kaylee, how did you come up with that number? 
and she explains. But explain how you got that number. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because you had fake news CNN saying that the affidavits I were showing were blank when all you had to do was go look at a public court filing to read them uh, yourselves. But of course, they couldn't do that. That's the job of a reporter. But instead, I'm having to do their job for them, including with this number. Uh, the stat I gave last night, which is eye-opening and truthful, is that for, the, for President Trump to be ahead as far as he was at 3 a.m. in these four states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia, and for the vote to swing by as much as it did, the probability of that in one state is one in one quadrillion. That's one comma 15 zeros. Uh, to happen in all four, it's one comma 15 zeros to the fourth power. And because Jake Tapper, fake news CNN and others can't uh, wake up and find enough energy to go read a public court filing, I, I did it for them. So th this this <laughs> the claim is so we have to first understand the claim and then we can we can better ex examine it. What she says is the odds of what happened in some states when they counted ballots, meaning Trump was winning and then he was losing as they counted more ballots. She says the odds of that happening in one state are one in one quadrillion. And then she says, and because it happened in four states, the odds of that happening in four states are one in one quadrillion raised to the fourth power. So let's deal with the second part first, because it's simpler. Eric at one of our viewers, Eric wrote to me and, and said, David, do you think she doesn't realize that that's not how exponents work? Or do you think she realizes it and is just lying to people? I have no idea. But Eric is right. If the odds were one in one quadrillion in one state, you don't just raise that to the fourth power to calculate the odds of it happening in four states. The math doesn't work that way. Now, let me explain to you what they're what they're trying to do here. And it can be really tough to explain this stuff. I uh, uh, this will be a nice challenge. Let's see if I can explain this in a way that's clear. In Pennsylvania, the final election results were Biden 50% and Trump 48.8%. Let's just call it for simplicity 50 to 49. Okay. Now, what this one in one quadrillion thing comes from is imagine for a second that the results within any slice of Pennsylvania were the same or expected to be the same as for the entire state. So what I mean by that is Joe Biden won Pennsylvania 50 to 49. If you expected Joe Biden to win every county 50 to 49 and you expected Joe Biden to win every city 50 to 49 and you expected Joe Biden to win in person voting 50 to 49 and mail in voting by 50 to 49, only if you assume identical distribution of votes in all locations and all types of votes, only then would you be able to say the odds of Trump having a hundred thousand, several hundred thousand vote lead on election night and that lead evaporating as mail in ballots are counted would be very, very unlikely. But we know that that's not the case. For example, in Philadelphia, Biden got 81% of the vote, Trump only got 18. And in Philadelphia, there were more than 700,000 votes. On the other hand, if you look at, as an example, Clearfield County, Pennsylvania, Trump easily won Clearfield County with 74 percent of the vote. But it's a very small number of voters. It's only 40,000 compared to 700,000 in Philadelphia. If you look at in person versus mail in in person voting was much more skewed to Donald Trump. Mail in voting was much more skewed to Joe Biden, exactly as expected. So one quadrillion, one in one quadrillion is meaningless once you realize 
low population red areas where there was more in person voting, those were counted early and they leaned Trump. High population Biden areas with more mail in voting were counted late, both of which we anticipated. It's not like that's even a surprise. And once you understand that, Kaylee saying one in one quadrillion is instantly nonsense. It's just meaningless, but it sounds good to lots of people who don't understand basic math. And then, of course, raise it to the fourth power because we're talking about four states. That's also garbage. That's just trash. So this exemplifies how Trumpists get into much of this nonsense. They they fall for bogus math. I don't know if Kaylee knows that the math is garbage and she's lying. Or maybe Kaylee doesn't even understand the math. Doesn't really matter. The point is Kaylee gives a big number and she used exponents. So that must mean that Donald Trump actually won this election. And of course, that's garbage. And uh, this is a, a prime example of how people fall for this stuff. This next story reminds us that it's not always that elites don't care that the average American can't always afford health care or housing payments or food. Sometimes they may not know what's going on. And as some of you may know, Donald Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, has been hospitalized with covid for a few days. Rudy behaved completely irresponsibly for the last month. He's been flying around the country doing indoor so-called voter fraud hearings, no mask. So he caught the virus. A Trump lawyer, Jenna Ellis, also caught the virus. Rudy was reportedly convinced by Donald Trump's doctor, Sean Conley, go to the hospital, just go, go, go. Because reportedly, Sean Conley said to Rudy, we can deal with this in three days and then you'll be good to go. And then from the hospital earlier this week, Rudy was speaking out against masks and social distancing guidelines. I mean, the irony while he's in a hospital getting treatment. And we later found out Rudy Giuliani received remdesivir and dexamethasone as treatment. Rudy was interviewed on New York talk radio station 77 WABC. And he said, listen, we have treatments. This is OK. Listen, they give you medications and you improve. Let's not overreact. Let's not go crazy with masks and social distancing. And when the host pointed out, you know, the protocol you've received, in particular remdesivir, except in certain cases where you qualify for it without paying, that's too expensive for most Americans. We every American can't get remdesivir. And Rudy said, oh, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, they gave it to me here at this hospital. And he said, I don't know that it's true that not everybody can get this. When Trump came out of coronavirus, he was also saying, don't be, these are quotes. Don't be afraid of it. Don't let it dominate your life. We have treatments. It might even be a cure. And of course, Donald Trump received dexamethasone for low oxygen, which is not expensive. But again, you, you have to be in a place where you're being monitored very closely, where as soon as you get low oxygen, you get the dex. He got five days of remdesivir. Trump got the experimental antibody treatment from Regeneron. This is not available to all patients. It's available to rich and or privileged patients or celebrity patients. So Rudy is thinking, I don't know, I got this. I just went to the hospital. I've got a three doctor team monitoring me and the top treatments. What's the big deal? And this is exactly the point. People connected to reality understand that this is a two tiered system in the United States. Now, Rudy did say he doesn't think he would even have gone to the hospital this soon were he not well known or a celebrity. So he in that same interview, he seemed to recognize, you know, they I think I'm here because I'm a celebrity. I don't know that, that I would even be here, but he's unaware of the fact that even when hospitalized, 
not everybody can get the treatment that he got. And and this is the reality. American health care is really good for the privileged and the wealthy. People even come from other countries here to get specific treatments or procedures, even for people living in one part of the country versus another. It can be a significantly better health care system. But for huge swaths of the population, it's a disastrous system. Um, at the same time, uh, you, you know, again, I, I he Rudy acknowledges he's there because he's a celebrity, but he seems to think anybody anybody would get the get the treatment. Most people are told stay home. Uh, if it gets really bad, come in. When you go in, it's packed, and you have one doctor for twenty patients rather than three doctors for one celebrity patient. Now, it's quite possible that even if Rudy Giuliani knew that not everybody could get the same treatment, he still might not have a different perspective on what should be done. But this is like the height of of plutocracy. It's less that, you know, I have no problem with Rudy getting what he's getting. It's that everybody should be able to get it and they can't remdesivir. It would even be a dosing issue. I mean, there's not that much of it available. And Rudy seems completely clueless about that piece of it. Folks like Rudy don't understand what these things cost whether the average American can afford it. Think back to my appendectomy last year. I have insurance with a two thousand dollar annual deductible for hospitalization, large procedures, ER, that type of thing. So when I went in, not even knowing yet that I had appendicitis, but suspecting it, I knew I could be responsible for up to two thousand bucks. I could come out hours later and owe two thousand dollars. And when they started with the CT scan and the IV drips and then said, you have appendicitis, you're having surgery. I anticipated I'm going to owe two grand here. Now, I always have in my mind, I have a two thousand dollar deductible at any time I fall and break an ankle or I get to whatever I could owe two thousand dollars. I have the two thousand dollars. It's OK. I had the privilege of knowing, you know what? I'll go to a top hospital, Brigham and Women's, have a great surgeon, great care, and then I'll owe two grand and then I'll pay for it. And that's great. Half the country can't meet an unexpected four hundred dollar expense with insurance. They would not be able to meet the deductible. And my deductible isn't even that high. Lots of folks with high deductible plans might have a four five, six or seven thousand dollar deductible to meet before their insurance kicks in. And meanwhile, Rudy thinks you show up, they give you the decks, they give you remdesivir. Three doctors are checking in on me and it's all really, really great. This is part of the problem. A lot of the people claiming it's no big deal are the people who have access to that uh, at the drop of a pin. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. Here's a question that you, I, I don't know the implication from the caller, but it's actually a really good question, which we talked about last week on the show about what is safe in the context of the virus. Take a listen. Hey, David, this is Christian from Louisiana. Right. I was just wondering, it, I find it uh, kind of suspicious that during this COVID pandemic, all these big, big box retailers have been allowed to, you know, let almost full capacity in yep. at all times, while small businesses are reduced to, you know, 15% in California, 50% in other places. Do you think that there's a connection in this because all the money that comes to the, you know, the Senate and the House and to all these politicians from these big box retailers and that they have a vested interest in keeping their stores open? Listen, I, I don't know about the money piece, 
But Scott Atlas recently brought this up. The, the radiologist that Trump had working for him for a while, he also said, why is it that a full capacity big box store is safe and a small restaurant at half capacity is not? And you know what? I agree with him. The thing is, the conclusion may be different. I don't think the big box store at full capacity is safe. And we have a report from El Paso, Texas, which actually finds that a huge amount of the contagion is happening in the big box stores. Now, I don't know exactly what sort of mask wearing requirements are enforced uh, in El Paso, Texas, in big box stores. And certainly the wearing of masks would, would reduce the transmission. But this is a perfectly reasonable question, except for me, the answer isn't open up restaurants at full capacity, which are very you know smaller, lower ceilings, less sophisticated ventilation in many cases, et cetera. It's I don't think the full capacity big box stores make any sense whatsoever. So a very reasonable question, which I've been asking as well. But I think we need to understand which side is the answer we should be leaning towards. We have a great bonus show for you today. We will talk about the San Francisco um, apartment building smoking ban. Very interesting news there. We will talk about Hunter Biden. Shockingly, we actually have something to talk about now related to Hunter. And we will also talk about allegations about a friend of the David Pakman show, Congressman Eric Swalwell. All of those stories on today's bonus show get instant access by signing up at joinpacman.com. 